All right, if you have your Bibles, again, you can turn with me to Ruth chapter number two. Ruth chapter number two is the uh, few and the proud this evening. It's good to see everybody here that could be here. Hope you're excited about this little story of, of Ruth. It's a little four-week series that we uh, very much are excited about. It was intentional, right? We, we love going back to the Old Testament. We hadn't always had a lot of Old Testament presence in our expositional preaching and teaching. And so obviously we labored in Genesis. We went back to the, the New Testament and coming back to a, a shorter uh, Old Testament book here with the story of redemption, uh, looking at this, uh, the storyline between Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and it just all that unfolds here in the story should hopefully strengthen our faith and uh, help us grow in our appreciation of the gospel and our own story of, of salvation. And so Ruth chapter number two, uh, the title of this evening's message is A Faithful Redeemer. A Faithful Redeemer. Uh, we recently as a family uh, went up to South Dakota. I officiated a wedding for my cousin up there and we, um, we have some family up in that area and we were in Faith, South Dakota. If you ever looked that up on the math, it, on the map, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's um, on your way to the Black Hills um, in that space where there is nothing uh, before the Black Hills. And uh, my, my uncle owns a ranch in that area, and he's, he's got on this acreage, he's got a, a butte. And I'm sure I learned about buttes at some point growing up in... Um, in, in my studies, but I, I couldn't remember what a butte is. But a butte is essentially a, a geological formation that is essentially plateaued at the top, right? It's, it's just a, a flat, uh, high ground. And, and we were able to go at the top of this butte. We, we took some ATVs up there, and you could just see for miles away, right? It's just beautiful country. And we looked down, you could see some antelope running, and we saw some mule deer off in the distance. And my uncle had these binoculars and, um, and he's like, Hey, look, you know, I see some mule deer right down here. And, you know, it looked like one of them was a buck from what we could maybe look at. We were like, you know, he was looking through his back. He was like, Oh yeah, it's a nice, nice buck. So we were, we were trying to find them in the binoculars and we were passing them around. Right. And if you haven't used binoculars that often, uh, they can kind of be a little difficult, right? You, you have this super narrowed and focused perspective through the binoculars and you, you look at what you think you're looking at and then, and then you look at the binoculars and you think you're right on it and you can't find it. Have you ever been there before with binoculars and, and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm looking at it without the binoculars. I'm putting the binoculars up. I should be pointing right at it and I have no idea where it's at. And so you're bouncing around and your movements are, are too strong and so you're missing it. Um, a seasoned hunter like Bob here, I'm sure he could get right, honed in on it. But it was interesting watching the kids take these binoculars and try to find these little itty bitty deer off in the distance. And, you know, seeing Olivia with the binoculars and she's got them pointed straight up in the sky. And you ask her, you know, do you see the deer? And she's like, yeah, I see. No, there's no way you see the deer with the direction that these binoculars are. Right. And, and we had a lot of fun with those binoculars and trying to find the deer and the antelope. But it's this, this limited perspective that you have in these, these binoculars, right? And I think that's often how we are in life. We're the little 
four-year-old with a binocular stuck up in the sky. And we're seeing nothing of what we really should be seeing and what's going on around us. But yet we make conclusions about what we are seeing through that very limited and unskilled perspective of life. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I struggle with that. In my finite mind, in my limited perspective, not seeing the end from the beginning like our God can, I make conclusions about God based on what? That limited perspective. On those circumstances that I'm experiencing right before me in my life when tragedy hits. When I lose my dad, when you lose a job, when a brother is in ICU battling COVID-19, we oftentimes can make inaccurate conclusions about God based on that limited perspective if we're not careful. And I think that's often what we see uh, in the book of Ruth here, specifically with the character of Naomi, right? That limited perspective leads to these shifting perceptions about God. Those perceptions become reality. And it leads to, again, improper conclusions about who God is. Naomi making inaccurate conclusions about who God is and his character based on that limited perspective that she sees. What was her conclusion? Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Friends, I don't know about you, but in my limited perspective, I often desire efficiency in my journey and ease of travel, safety upon my arrival. But in God's infinite wisdom, he's not so much concerned about our ease, efficiency and safety as he is about his glory being maximized in this world that we live. And in his infinite wisdom, God has chosen to use bitter circumstances as a means by which his glory is maximized in this world. And so I'm thankful for testimonies in God's word that are inspired and without error that we can run to and remember that Naomi had great loss in her life, but yet God was there. And he was not done with Naomi. He was not done with Ruth. All hope had not been lost. Although in that limited perspective at that moment, it certainly seemed and felt that way. God in his sovereignty was still on the move. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder quite often. When I fail, when I mess up, when my faith falters, when I'm struggling to believe that God is good, I need to remember the story of Ruth. So I'm reminded in this short story, this book of Ruth, I'm reminded of God's storyline of redemption. Both Old and New Testament together proclaiming the story of 
redemption, right? The Old Testament looking forward to the promised Messiah, the New Testament looking back to the one who had come and fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies, the Messiah who came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life and gave of himself, went to a cross, shed his blood so that mankind, rebellious, sinful mankind could be in relationship with God once again. I'm, re- I'm reminded that God is pointing to Jesus, his only son in every page of the scriptures, Old and New Testament. We can see Jesus. We can see redemption. We can see the hope of the gospel. I hope as we work through this series in Ruth is that we'll see the gospel. We'll see this storyline of redemption unfold before us. It will strengthen our faith, and that it will broaden our perspective beyond our immediate circumstances. And we can remember that God is working out his perfect plan for our good and his glory. So as a reminder, our main character to this point in chapter one has been Naomi. We know there was terrible famine in Judah. What happens? The family packs up and they travel to Moab. They put down some roots. Her two sons marry women from this foreign land. Her husband dies. Then her two sons die as well. This is the tragedy that Pastor Andy uh, walked us through last week. So Naomi, an Israelite, is in a pagan land with these two Moabite daughters-in-law. And her conclusion, her limited perspective Closes in chapter one, verse number 20. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In her limited perspective, she can't see how God is working. She can't see beyond these immediate bitter circumstances that God is working out his own story of redemption for her benefit. Chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four are coming. But at this point, Naomi has no hope. Destitute, lost. This brings us to our big idea for chapter number two. Because God is sovereign over all things. We can trust that he will use our bitter circumstances to maximize his glory. And further, his perfect plan of redemption in this world. Say that one more time. Because God is sovereign over all things. We can trust that he will use our bitter circumstances to maximize his glory. And further, his perfect plan of redemption in this world. So this evening, we're going to look at just three simple observations concerning this faithful redeemer. First is this, God's sovereignty is constant, even in their uncertainty. God's sovereignty is constant, even in their uncertainty. So Ruth, chapter number two. Let's start reading in verse number one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. Verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Here it is. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I love this phrase. And she happened. Right, do you get that? And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I'm sure over the last couple years, you've heard us talk about the sovereignty of God just a little bit, right? Every once in a while, you hear us talk about God is sovereign over all things and all peoples at all times. This is a consistent definition that we've talked about throughout our studies, both Old and New Testament. God is sovereign over all things and all peoples at all times. And so as Ruth just happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, what do we know about this phrase? We know that this is no happenstance, that, that Ruth just shows up in this part of the field belonging to Boaz. We know that this was part of God's sovereign and perfect plan, right? Ruth was right where she needed to be, right as God had designed. This is intriguing verbiage here as we consider that it is absolutely dripping with the sovereignty of God. I want to be reminded of this reality that even in the seemingly insignificant wandering of Ruth to glean in the fields, even that activity is ordained by the Lord. Even those seemingly insignificant wandering of Ruth into this field, that is even ordained by the Lord. What should that do for us in light of these realities? Does it not bring true meaning to everything that I do and say? Does it not bring into the reality of 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There are no insignificant Situations or circumstances in life that are outside the control of the Lord. Everything has purpose. Everything has meaning. Everything is an opportunity for us as his children to reflect the glory of God. And Ruth, in her obedience, in her work ethic, in her understanding that we have nothing and we now have arrived back to Bethlehem. We have nothing in possession. We have no food, no provisions. We have no husbands. We have no fathers. I need to go glean in the fields. We know that this activity would have been difficult. She sets out on this mission to glean in the fields. This would have been a cultural practice for the poorest in that day to simply do what? Scrape together a meal for the day. This would be hard work. They would have very little to show for this laborious work of gleaning in the fields. They would not get rich. They would not make a living wage. On this effort, this was simply hand to mouth, food in the belly. 
This is where Naomi and Ruth were. I truly were at the end of the rope. Those officially working in the fields, as our text describes it, the reapers, they typically would have been given about a a leader's worth of, of grain for the hard work that they had in bringing in the harvest. This would have been the cultural practice. And as they were going through the process of bringing in the harvest, Some grain, in this instance, barley would have fallen, right? Some sheaves would have fallen out of the bundles or there would have been some some heads of that barley that would not have been collected. And it would have been of the law of that day for those that were landowners to not go back. Deuteronomy talks about this, to not go back and to seek to harvest that, but rather to do what? To leave it. It was a blessing and a help for those that had nothing. So this is what was going on in the field. This is the practice that Ruth had set out to accomplish to simply get a meal for that day to bring back to Naomi. To extend their existence on this world simply one more day. There was no hope. There was no excitement. We're simply gleaning in the fields. Ruth seems at this point to be unaware that Boaz uh, would have a family connection. She simply was going down to a field she saw uh, and she happened to stumble into this section of the field that would have been owned by Boaz, unknowing to her that there would have been a family and a redeemer connection here that could have been of further assistance and help to their situation. So here she is. She's in the field gleaning. But you see, friends, God has in this moment a much bigger plan and play on that day than just Ruth gathering up some scraps out of the field to bring back to Naomi. See, Ruth was right where she needed to be. Ruth was doing exactly what she needed to be doing. And it was at the intersection of God's sovereignty and Ruth's obedience that he opened up the door of this perfect plan of redemption to be realized. So verse number four, let's look at it. Verse number four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his younger man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. This is where we have Boaz officially entering the scene. And what does he do? He greets the reapers. I love what is revealed to us in this exchange with his hired men. He is a kind employer, right? Boaz comes down from Bethlehem. He's no doubt going to be checking on the operation of the harvest. And what does he do? He greets his workers. The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. We see something about Boaz's character in this moment. And it's here for some reason that Boaz does what? He takes notice. He takes notice of 
this woman who is gleaning in the field. I don't know if it's because uh, there weren't many that were gleaning and he would have been familiar with the others in a smaller agrarian society. It's kind of like a small town, right? You, you know everybody that's there and Ruth doesn't fit in and he doesn't know that face. He doesn't know that person. And so what does he do? He inquires, who is this woman that's gleaning in the field? Boaz takes notice. Maybe it was because of her appearance. Maybe uh, he, she caught his attention. Maybe her, her dress or maybe her appearance didn't look like that of the Israelites. We don't know exactly why. Uh, Ruth caught the attention of Boaz, but we know that was certainly in God's perfect plan, was it not? So Boaz singles out Ruth and he inquires about who she is. And it's interesting that the response back from his servant was that it seems like the word had spread of this Moabite woman that has traveled back with Naomi. It's also important to, to note here that Ruth's reputation in the field had made it back as well. Let's keep reading. Verse number seven, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So not only do we see something interesting about the character of Boaz, but we also see some interesting insights about who Ruth is. You got to remember that Ruth is a foreigner now in this land. She left father, mother. She left the familiar. She traveled back to Bethlehem with Naomi, and here she is just trying to do what? Get food in her belly, just try to find a path forward for Naomi and herself. So what does she do? She works hard. She's got a great work ethic. She was in the field. She's at a rope's end. She's gathering everything that she possibly can, working hard, knowing that if not for her, Naomi's existence and hers certainly could be at risk be further suffering, further heartache. So God's sovereignty was constant, even in their uncertainty. They get back. Ruth says, hey, you know what? What other option do I have but to go glean? Yet she doesn't know that God is going to bring her to a field and she's going to happened to stumble into a part of the field that belongs to this man, Boaz, that she will be distantly related to, that will be a redeemer, that will absolutely change her life. I'm certain that she didn't expect that when she woke up that morning in a foreign land, when all hope had been lost, thinking, man, I, my stomach's growling. Who knows when the last meal that they had I'm going to go down. I'm going to try to find something that we can scrap something. She wasn't thinking about, I'm going to meet a man who's going to change my life. But that's the beauty of God's sovereignty. In the midst of bitter circumstances, God is there and he's working. His perfect plan of redemption that we can never write the story that is our life. But God can because he knows it from beginning to end. And it's just what it should be because he's sovereign. He's going to maximize his glory in your life and in my life, even in the midst of bitter circumstances. His story of redemption is unfolding before our 
All right, so God's sovereignty was constant. Secondly, God's provision was abundant in their time of need. God's provision is abundant in their time of need. So now we have verse number eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. This is really the first direct interaction that we have between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz goes on to this, uh, communicate this lavish and unmerited measure of provision and protection over Ruth. And verse 10, what does she do? She responds with a question. He says, don't leave this field. I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. Stay in this field, follow my women, take all that you need. What's her response? Why have I, Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, why have I, a widow, having nothing to offer, why have I, Ruth says, found favor in your eyes, a wealthy, honored man in his society? Boaz answers, what was it? Why has Boaz been inclined to offer this lavish and unmerited measure of provision and protection over her? It was the testimony of her radical abandonment, leaving her previous life, leaving her family, her mother, her father, to care for whom? This mother-in-law of hers, Naomi. It was the heart of Ruth that stirred the heart of Boaz to care for her. What did Ruth do? She gave of herself. And when she gave of herself, did she expect anything in return from Naomi? Did she say, hey, Naomi, I know you can't go down and do this work, but I'm going to go down and glean. I'm going to try to scrap us something together for the day. And if I bring something back, you better have something as well, right? Because this is an equal opportunity providing home. There's just the two of us. No, this isn't Ruth's disposition. This isn't Ruth's demeanor. She is, she is giving of herself, emptying herself, expecting nothing in return. This is the testimony of Ruth. And word of that, all that Ruth had done for the sake of Naomi had been told to Boaz. So that stirs his heart. And it's here that God blesses Ruth for her faithfulness to Naomi. Boaz proclaims this incredible blessing over Ruth, right? We can see it in verse number 10, or excuse me, verse uh, number 11. But Boaz answered her, right? Here's his response to her question. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord, here's the blessing that Boaz speaks over the life of Ruth. The Lord repay you. For what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Remember this phrase. It will come up again later in our study of of Ruth. So make note of this description of God and uh, that's described here and how that will layer into a description of Boaz in in our previous in preaching to come. Excuse me. Uh, But until then, right, I want to remind us about this blessing that Boaz speaks over Ruth. Boaz believed God to be the one whom there would be safety and provision. It was not Boaz's wings that she was coming to take refuge, right? Ultimately, there would be real, literal, tangible protection and provision that would come through Boaz, but God is the one that blessed Boaz. God is the one that had given him the means to uh, interact and, and to provide for Naomi and Ruth in this way. But ultimately, it was God who would give her safety and protection. And we sang a song, and uh, I can't remember if we sang a song or we read another text, but it reminded me, uh, Andy, of, of this verse that I had noted here in my notes, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions or feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Amen? This is who our God is. A mighty fortress is our God, we sing, right? This is who our God is. And this is who Boaz knew God to be. And this is what he was hoping God would be to whom? Ruth. As he speaks this blessing over her life. In study for this this particular text here, Jared Wilson points out a great aspect of application for us in regards to this interaction between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz was a model in giving grace. Ruth, on the other hand, was a model in what? Receiving grace. So there's something for us to learn by way of how Boaz freely and quickly and willingly engages with Ruth, Ruth in her time of need. There's also something that we, as we observe Ruth and her response to Boaz and his kindness and his grace that he lavished upon her, there's certainly something that we can learn from her about receiving grace. Both of those two items are challenging at different stages of life. Sometimes it can be a struggle to offer grace, right? We're selfish or we like to hoard. We like to keep what we have for our own instead of understanding that everything that we have is a gift from God. Therefore, we hold it with an open hand and we freely offer it to those in their time of need. Offering grace to those that have nothing to offer me in return in our human state, that could be a difficult thing to do. So God teaches us to do that through his word. And we have an example in Boaz. On the flip side, receiving grace 
can be equally difficult, if not more. Ever heard of these things called shame and guilt? Thinking that we can't receive the goodness of God. We can't be in relationship with a holy God because we are just too dirty, as Andy described. We've fallen too far away from the Lord. We've just messed up in too big of a way. Therefore, we're damaged goods. Therefore, God can never use us again. Receiving God's grace at the end of our rope when we have nothing to offer God is the very essence of grace. It's unmerited favor. It's nothing that I have done that that I deserve God's grace. And so there's much that we can learn about who God is. There's much we can learn about the story of redemption and salvation right here in this interaction between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz, this model of giving grace, he was kind to his workers. He was obedient to God's law in leaving the sheaves that were overlooked. He was kind to the gleaners. He was generous. He was godly. Boaz clearly modeled a deep sense of stewardship of all that he was given. And he was quick to offer grace to those around him. Ruth, the model of receiving grace. She was humble. She was obedient. She was thankful. Ruth clearly had nothing to offer anyone, but was willing to receive the grace that was offered. She had the right demeanor and disposition. We see her doing what falling on her face in humility, overwhelmed by the goodness of a Boaz. There was not one ounce of entitlement in Ruth. It's about time I get what was coming to me. Do you see it coming out of Ruth's mouth? No. Humbly receiving what was offered as a good and gracious gift from the Redeemer. Friends, I don't know about you, but I I couldn't pick a more clear picture of the gospel. Yeah, this might not be John 3.16. But do we not see our Redeemer offering us grace in our time of need? Do we not see a loving Savior who goes to us that comes down from Bethlehem and sees us that goes to us there gleaming in the field, making a mess of life and offering us a good and gracious gift, protection, provision for our deepest need, that need of our soul? So it doesn't stop here. This lavished grace that Boaz offers when it's time to get back to work, Boaz does what? He instructs the reapers in verse number 15. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And verse number 16, go ahead and pull out some of the bundles for her and and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Going back up to verse number 13, Ruth's response, she proclaims, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Friends, that's the gospel. 
Boaz goes on again to, to level this up. It's, it's mealtime. Boaz invites Ruth, come here and eat. And what does she do? She eats until she was satisfied. And here's this lavish, extravagant grace. She eats until she's satisfied. And what does she have? She has some left over. So not only is Ruth welcomed to glean with Boaz's women, not only is she welcomed in with the servants to eat with Boaz at mealtime, not only is she satisfied and have leftovers, but now she's offered to glean even among the sheaves. And the servants are instructed to pull from the bundles that are already harvested so that she could take from that. She is over and abundantly lavished upon in ways that she could have never dreamed. This would have been completely culturally inappropriate for Boaz to engage with Ruth in this way. But he does it. I can't imagine the look on his servants' faces when he's giving them these instructions Looking around, like, really, this, is, this is the Moabite woman, right? Like, we're, we're not forgetting that. The, the Moabite woman, who's a widower, who has nothing to offer, who's here gleaning just to get scraps. Now you're, you, you brought her in at mealtime. She's satisfied. She had extra. She's pulling from the bundles. What is going on? Can you imagine the servant's response here? And meanwhile, at the end of the day, they're going to get their, their little bag of grain that they're going to take back to her family. And she's coming back at the hall of a hall. God is good. This is the gospel. This is God's grace towards us in Jesus Christ. Those who were dead are now alive. We've been ushered out of darkness into light. He adopted us into his family. And not only did he do that, but he gave us an inheritance with Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. This is above and beyond grace, extravagant grace that has been shown towards us in Christ. This is the gospel unfolding before our eyes. So she gleaned until the evening. And at the end of the day, she had an entire ephah of barley. Maddie uh, came down into my study while I was writing this and she saw that, that word on, on the, my computer screen, and she said, what in the world is that? So uh, I, I helped her explain what it is, so I'm going to help you all understand how big of a deal this is, right? So an ephah of barley would have been equivalent to about 20 liters of grain. This would have roughly been about 30 pounds of finished barley, right? So this would have been, right, she, she beat the barley and um, she had taken uh, the, the barley off of the stock and now it is, she, she's gathered it up and she has ready to use barley of about 30 pounds. But she woke up that morning and she was going down the field. She was hoping to pull together some scraps to have a meal for her and Naomi for the day. She's coming home the full belly, a doggy bag of extra food, 30 pounds of barley.
God's provision was abundant in their time of need. Ruth returns to Naomi as they recount all that the Lord had done in that day. And someone described this day in the life of Ruth as a change your life kind of day. Have you ever had a day like that? Maybe it was the day you got saved. You woke up that morning in your sin. And by the time you pillowed your head at night, you accepted the free gift of salvation. Maybe you weren't expecting it. Maybe somebody handed you a track. Maybe you went to a gospel service. Maybe um, the Lord had just been working on your heart and the Holy Spirit finally brought you to a point of humility and repentance and you responded. And that was a change your life kind of day, right? When you came to know the Lord as your, your personal savior. Maybe it was meeting your spouse, right? You can remember that day. That was a change your life kind of day. Maybe it was a job interview that, man, you leveled up and it just it set your family on a, a trajectory that looking back, you think, man, that changed my life. This was a change your life kind of day for, for Ruth and Naomi. And so Ruth comes back with this haul of barley and she, she gives Naomi this extra food that she had at mealtime. And Naomi's response is, where in the world did you glean from, right? What, what man saw you and, and had pity on you and, and provided for us in this type of way? The Lord met Ruth and Naomi right there at the end of the rope. He used Boaz to provide for them in such a lavish way that it just made no logical sense. So Ruth's recounting of these events to Naomi further solidifies the beauty of this encounter. If it were any other field, if it were any other landowner, what did Naomi remind Ruth of what could have happened. She could have been assaulted. This is the scandal of grace in our own life. It doesn't follow the rules of cultural appropriateness. It doesn't reach out to those that are well and fat and happy. Rather, Mark 2 reminds us in verses 15 through 17, as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is Naomi. This is Ruth. In need of saving at the end of the rope, experiencing these bitter circumstances with an uncertain future in the days ahead, simply trying to scrap together a meal for the day. God met them there faithful redeemer, loved them, served them, provided and protected for them. This is the story of Ruth chapter number two. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we pray that you would 
challenge us, encourage us with the story. Their own faith would be strengthened as a result of seeing Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, that will uh, grow in our understanding over the next two weeks and understanding what that truly means. But Father, I pray that we would see Christ more importantly as our own redeemer, him meeting our need, him lavishing us with uh, loads and loads of proverbial barley that doesn't make sense. It, it's more than we could have ever imagined or hoped for. This is God, what you have done for us in and through Christ, giving us what we did not deserve. And so I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged this evening to walk in the beauty of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Close with he will hold me fast because um, 